Our good Lord, we do ask this morning together that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us your son and that you would give us life through your spirit. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So the other week when the Braves were playing the Mets, you may have seen this, but one of the players was hit with a 94 mile an hour fastball in the face. Now, when I was 10 years old, one of the reasons why I got out of uh, Little League was because I felt much safer with the pitching machine than I did with a 10-year-old and a baseball in his hand, throwing at 40 miles an hour. Uh, There's a big difference between a 40-mile-an-hour pitch and a 94-mile-an-hour pitch. One is a little more intense than the other. We often talk about life throwing us curveballs at different points. But what happens when life throws a 94 mile an hour fastball and it hits us in the face? What do we do when the the bright mountaintop experience changes all of a sudden into one of darkness and one of pain and one of confusion and one of even despair? And what we are given this morning is Not an intellectual discussion about the nature of suffering and how God fits into it, but we have a response, a personal prayer to God that is spoken from a very honest place in the midst of some very real hardships. And there's a big difference between just an explanation intellectually about what suffering is and how God fits into it and a prayer that comes from an honest heart about where we are that's directed towards God. And if we're, if we're going to experience a deep relationship, a deep life-giving relationship with the God who made us, we have got to learn what to do with our pain. In other words, we need to learn as God's people how to grieve and what that looks like. And because we don't really know how to grieve on our own and, and we as individuals, and even we as a culture, aren't good at grieving, we need help. And so God knows that and gives us passages and prayers like this that give words and direction and shape to how we grieve. And so Psalm 88 is going to show us the way. It's going to help. And here's what I want us to, to look at. And this, this prayer is going to help us avoid some of, our con, con, some of our constant tendencies, whether that is going the path of denial and minimizing or trying to, to rush into fixing everything or just becoming cynical and losing hope. This psalm is going to show us that there's a different way. And, and there's four things that I want to draw our attention to. Our, our experience of grief, our perception in grief, our response to grief and reality beyond grief. And that's, that's a lot there, but we'll unpack it slowly along the way. So experience, perception, response, reality. So first, our experience of grief. So when she was in, in, in high school, many of you know her story, Johnny Erickson Tata was involved in a, a tragic diving accident where she broke her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. And I want you to listen to how, in her own words, she describes what this felt like. 
She said, when a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would, and keep in mind, this this is a high schooler. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the light, and shut the door. My paralysis was permanent, and inside, I died. So, ambushed, misery, dead on the inside, despair. That is an honest description of how she felt and what her experience of suffering was. Part of the healing process is being able to acknowledge and be honest about where we really are and what is really going on inside of us. The words of Psalm 88 are doing something very similar. I want you to listen to how this psalmist describes their experience of some very intense pain. Verse 3, my soul is full of troubles. My life is getting closer to death. I'm in a pit. My strength is all gone. Verse 5, I'm like the dead. God has forgotten me. I'm cut off from him. Verse 6, I'm in a deep and dark place. Verse 7, it's, it's like ocean waves are crashing in on me again and again, completely overwhelming me, and I'm just drowning. Those are, those are vivid back-to-back pictures that are all communicating one central message, and that is I'm in a very, very hard place. Back in college, when I lived in the dorms, uh, we would eat every day at the dining hall. And going through the line, we would always uh, be greeted by Miss Edna. And Miss Edna was in her 70s, and we loved talking with her. We loved seeing her. And every time we would ask her, uh, Miss Edna, how are you doing? The response would be the exact same. I'm fine. Edna, how are you? I'm fine. How are you feeling? I'm fine. You having a good day? I'm fine. To the point where we would even make a game out of it. So we would, we would collaborate beforehand on the different types of questions that we would ask her in advance to try to get something else out of it. And she was like this ninja who somehow took our question and always brought it back to this just nice heartfelt, I'm fine. The psalmist in here is anything but fine. When asked the question, how are you doing? The answer is troubled, tired, dark, drowning, cut off, forgotten, dying. That's my life. So many of us as believers spend so much of our time pretending to others and sometimes to ourselves to be doing a lot better than we really are. And God gives us psalms like this one partly to tell us, I want you to be honest with me. Uh, Don't tell me that you are fine. I know that you're not fine. 
tell me how you're really doing. What would it be like for you to be gut level honest with God about how you're really doing? What keeps you from doing that? What keeps you from opening up and speaking words like this? Remember, this is the Bible. These are inspired words given to us to give voice. And God says, this is good. This is something that we need. The Psalms invite us to be honest about our grief. And this, that's our experience of grief. And now our perception in grief. When bad things happen, one of the questions that always gets asked is why? Uh, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? What on earth are you doing? I want you to listen to how this psalmist is trying to make sense of their experience. I want you to see if you can catch a theme. Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit in regions dark and deep. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Verse 14, you hide your face from me. You cast my soul away. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Do you, do you see a connection, a thread that runs through all those of what this person's perception of is what's happening? And I want to ask a question here that, that really matters for how we make sense of this. Is what this person describes in what I just read to you perception or reality? In other words, is his condition one that God is truly against him? God has truly left, abandoned, is intentionally crashing with wave after wave treating him as an enemy? Or is the sense in his heart simply one that it just feels like all around me in every situation that God is against me? That's the only way I can make sense of my current reality. And there's a big difference between those two. And our confusion of those two is one of the reasons why many have left the faith in the midst of suffering and difficulty and inability to tease those two apart. So I want us to think about this in two different ways. One is, is thinking about what we're going to hear next week in Psalm 32. It's going to be a psalm of, of returning and coming back to God. It's prayed by David in the midst of some significant life mess-ups. And there is a clear connection between his sin and the suffering that he's experiencing. When we read these words from Psalm 88, we don't get any sense that the psalmist is doing anything wrong or has done anything wrong or has wandered away in any way that would merit a, a wrathful response upon him. We just don't see evidence of that. The second thing I want to point to is the experience of Job. And so I want you to, many of you are familiar with Job's story, and I want you to think about how it begins. This is what God says of Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. 
It's clear right there that God's perception of Job and his evaluation of Job is a very positive one. He looks at Job and says, that's a good man who's doing what is right and what's good. But what happens to Job is through no fault of his own, he experiences intense suffering and loss that's not connected to his own sin. And I want you to listen to his perception of what's happening, how he makes sense of it. Job says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me, and my spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? You see how Job is perceiving God? He's perceiving God as someone who is hunting him down with arrows that are laced with poison and is treating him as an enemy. But we as the readers from the outside looking in know that's not the case because God has already told us that's not the case. We're able to see behind the scenes that God's perception of him is very different and the reason behind his suffering is not connected to his own sin or his own brokenness. Job is not being punished as an enemy, but is being tested as someone who is loved and cared for. And we need to remember here that even at the end of Job's experience, he's never given an explanation of what happens. God never gives him a play-by-play describing, oh, this is what you went through and this is what I was thinking and all this. We as the readers are given that from the outside looking in. So the question for all of us in here is for you and the suffering that you have experienced, that you are experiencing and that you will experience. How do you make sense of that? What meaning do you attach to it? What conclusions are you coming to personally about the heart of God and his purposes? And how do you know if your perception of who God is and what he's doing lines up with reality? And that brings us to our third point, our response to grief. So I want to go back to uh, Johnny Erickson Tata for just a moment and back to her experience. So after she says, my paralysis was permanent and inside I died, where, where do you go from there? What, what's next in life when the drapes are closed? You don't want to talk to anybody and you want to give up on life. She continues, she said, that's how I felt. But after weeks in bed, I got tired of being depressed and I finally cried out, God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. And from then on, I would ask my sister to get me up and park me in my wheelchair in front of my Bible holding a mouth stick because you can't use your hands And I would flip this way and that looking for answers, any answer. I sought the help of a Christian counselor friend who took me directly to the book of Lamentations. It's a lot like our psalm this morning. And I was amazed to learn that God welcomes our laments. And I would eventually learn mainly through Lamentations and Psalms that nothing is more freeing than knowing that God understands When we are in pain, God feels the sting in his chest. Our frustrations and questions don't fluster him. He knows all 
about them. He wrote the book on them. And more astoundingly, he invites us to come and air our grievances before him. She reached a crossroads early on in life, and she was faced with a choice. Am I going to turn away and pull back from God, or am I going to turn towards and lean in and and how, what she chooses at that moment makes all the difference in life. And what she is saying is, I chose in the midst of all of my confusion, hurt, pain, anger, sadness, despair, I chose to move towards and I chose to lean in. Don't, don't miss, in light of all the darkness in this psalm that we've just covered, don't miss how it begins Verse 1, O Lord, which is God's personal name revealed at the Exodus, God of my salvation. While there is a perception that God is against him, I believe there is something deeper and fundamental in his heart that he says, I know that God is for me. He's not just some distant, disinterested deity, but he is my deliverer. He is my rescuer. He is my God and I am His. This prayer of grief is an actual act of turning towards God and leaning in and not simply saying, I give up and I'm going my own way. And we don't get the sense that this just happens once, but it's something that happens again and again. Verse 13 But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. You get this picture of someone waking up with anticipation, saying it's a war zone in my life, but I am going to look to you because I have nowhere else to look to. And I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to say some pretty honest and harsh things about what's going on in me, but I'm going to put those before you with some shred of confidence that you are my God and that you are for me. Even in the midst of questions like verse 10, why do you hide your face from me? When you find yourself in these places of confusion and pain and suffering, where do you turn? Do you find yourself turning away and pulling back or turning towards and leaning in? Um, It's been a little over a year and a half since uh, Samantha and Caroline's and, and Joy and Owen's dad and Kim's husband passed away. And he was special to our church family and he still is special. And his life touched so many people in such a powerful way. And so his death was a hard reality for many to deal with. And and as a pastor, seeing all of these different connections that people had with Brent, it was not fascinating, but it was sobering to see the different responses to his death. For some, the pain was just too great. It was too much. It was too confusing. And the result was one which I can't handle this. I don't know if there is a God or or who he is, but it doesn't seem like he's good. He's for me. And there was a pulling away. 
And there were others who looked at him, his life, his faith, what he held dear, and said the pain is still great. The why is still confusing. I don't have answers, but the response was one of leaning in. One of saying what was precious to him is precious to me. I believe what he believed in. And I want to lean in. And I want to move towards. That was different responses from the very same event. Different choices. I don't. I want to be very slow and careful with evaluating people's responses to something so significant. Uh, There is a lot of room and a lot of space to process what happened. And I don't want to give the impression that Psalm 88 ends with a nice tight bow where everything is resolved and figured out. I want you to look at how this ends. This is not a, a triumphant praise the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever that many other psalms end with. It ends with these words, my companions have become darkness. Or as another translation says, darkness is my closest friend. That's the end of it. That someone wrestling comes to the, the terminus of this prayer and says, It still feels right now like my closest friend is just the dark. God doesn't work just in moments, but over lifetimes. And this psalm is inviting us to wrestle in new ways like we haven't before. And this brings us to our final point, and that is our reality beyond grief. So our sadness and our pain it can be very powerful and in it, in its power and in its loud voice and shouting, it can seem like this is the center of the story. This is the center of life and this is the center of my story as well. But the good news that we celebrate is there is a reality that is beyond grief, that stretches beyond our own experience of suffering in a broken world. There is good news that is beyond anything this world can touch. It's beyond decay. It can't change. And it starts with this. I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus experienced the kind of pain that we are talking about and much, much more. And I want you to remember his, the cry of his heart quoting one of the Psalms of Lament that came on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loss, grief, pain, crying out. But we also know that even on the cross, that cry of despair led to a final prayer of trust in which Jesus also says, Father, into your hands, I commit, I entrust my spirit. Seems like you're totally gone, but I'm putting myself in your hands completely. Even in his darkest moment, Jesus himself knows that there is a reality beyond the curse of the cross, beyond a broken body, beyond 
judgment, beyond suffering, beyond sin. Grief and pain and death do not have the final word in our lives. Resurrection does. That is where the story is heading. And that is the end. That is the reality beyond our present experience. So when suffering and pain come, when they come in waves, we can look back to the cross and say, I don't understand quite what is happening or why it's happening or what God is doing in the midst of all this. But as I see the Son of God hanging on a cross, I know that it doesn't mean that God's not for me. It's God saying, this is how much I care about you and this is the lengths that I will go to be good for you. It doesn't answer all of our questions, but it testifies to his character. And when we see on Sunday morning that empty tomb and a resurrected Savior We see that even the power of death is broken and that there is a reality beyond our present grief and that this story has a good ending that goes something like this in Revelation 21, where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Grief, comfort, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Sometimes that reality will feel very close to us. It'll feel like we can see it and we can hear it and we can almost touch it. There will be other days where it feels like there is a steel wall between our hearts and that reality where it will feel like a distant memory that's so far away from what's true that we'll want to give up. And that's where Psalm 88 comes in. Gives us voice when we feel that, but it reminds us that there is a hope beyond this hope. And in these moments, we'll all be presented with a choice. The choice, do we pull away in disappointment or do we lean in with hope? Let's lean in together and let's be a a family that leans in and that helps one another, that reminds one another, that sings this song together and that hopes together. Let's pray. Our good Lord, we thank you that we don't have to pretend to be better than we are. We don't have to put on a happy face. There are plenty of scripture passages where you call us to rejoice and there's others where You put words in our mouth of questioning about why you've forsaken us and why you've left us and why you've hidden your face from us. And we need both. Thank you for being a God who has a good ending to our story. Help us to navigate through the the realities of pain and suffering and to navigate through these realities with you. Not on our own, not even just with other people, but with you. Draw us close to you. I don't know what kind of pain is going on in this room, but I I know there is some significant. Be with us. Be close to us. Help us to walk with you and to sense your presence and even your joy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.